you know, these are my struggles and I own them and I'm not ashamed of them and I'm willing to talk about them and I want to embrace a culture where, where we all do the same. Welcome to the Wellbeing Champions podcast brought to you by Loon Base. My name is Aaron. And my name is Tom. This is the Wellbeing Champions podcast where we bring you pearls of wisdom from the best and brightest in the wellbeing world. We aim to share knowledge and learn from others on how to enable people to truly work and live well. On today's episode, we welcome Anastasia Vinikova. Anastasia is a multilingual well-being lead at the Bank of England. She is passionate about decreasing stigma around mental health in and out of workplaces. Her main areas of focus are on workplace well-being and mental health of those in their early careers. She is also the founder of Winning Minds, a mental health resource hub for sports people. And in recognition of her great work, she was the winner of the Breaking the Silence Award at the 2020 Not a Red Card Awards. Anastasia, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. So we like to kick off each show with our Fast Five warm-up questions. So I'll start. Do you prefer tea or coffee? Coffee. And are you well caffeinated this morning? <laughs> yes, very much. <laughs> Good. Me too. In figure skating, a toe jumps or edge jumps preferred? I prefer a toe jump. And do you prefer instant message or phone call? Oh, definitely instant message. Why is that? I don't know. I feel like we do lots of phone calls nowadays and sometimes you just want to have the space to reply to someone in your own time, don't you? Fair enough, absolutely. Do you have a top purchase in the past year that brought you happiness? Absolutely. I bought myself a very extravagant, fluffy pair of bright turquoise slippers a couple of months ago and they've got a, a big crystal panther on them <laughs> and they are so unnecessary but they bring me such joy. They're the softest things I own and even when I feel very kind of, you know, uh, in business attire for video calls or something, I've got these ridiculous slippers on my feet and it just brings me a bit of glamour and joy and I just love it. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> and if you um if you could have a gigantic billboard um with anything on it and, and metaphorically this message could get to millions of people what would it say and why i think i'd go for something um really simple like you are not alone um i think you know quite often regardless of what you're going through if it's mental health or physical health or any kind of life situation it's easy to feel that you know you're on your own and uh you know that makes it all the more difficult to cope with something so I think just you know hopefully if somebody gets a glimpse of that and thinks actually you know maybe there are other people out there either going through what I'm going through who understand what I'm going through or sympathize or empathize um I think that can be quite powerful um you know like the the messages that the Samaritans have in train stations I think those have been really important and impactful for for a lot of people so something like that just so that people know that they're not on their own in whatever you know they might be going through that's lovely. And I gave a little brief introduction to you, but could could you introduce yourself and tell us how you got into your current role in wellbeing today? Yeah, absolutely. So I don't think that I ever envisaged that I would be in the role that I'm in today. Um, I'm in wellbeing and mental health largely because of my own personal experiences in mental health. So I've had uh, depression and an anxiety disorder for about a decade now, which <laughs> seems like a long time. Um, but at the very start of that journey for the first six years or so, I never imagined that I'd you know, come on a podcast and say this kind of thing or share my experiences with anyone because I think I was just in a place where I wasn't surrounded by anyone else with similar experiences or certainly not people who spoke openly about those experiences. And I didn't have a lot of awareness or education around it, I think, at the time, you know, when I was at school, we didn't really talk about mental health and 
focus was on other things um, and where I come from a sporting background I was a competitive figure skater for about two decades and you know the focus is on high performance and resilience and toughness and your physical kind of performance and so there was never any space for conversation about well what happens if your mental health is is not doing so well so it's very much in a place for a long time where I didn't tell anyone what I was going through it took me a very long time to seek treatment because I didn't know what treatment was you know I had some very cliche images in my head that I'd be put into a psychiatric hospital and then that would be the rest of my life you know I was really worried about some of those stereotypes and um, I was ashamed I, I felt that there was a lot of stigma attached to what I was going through so I was embarrassed of, of my experiences and so it took me a long time to get to a stage where I could seek treatment where I could um, you know talk about my experiences and um, you know hopefully help others to talk about their experiences as well and it was all of those things and coming into a workplace at the bank uh, Bank of England where I felt supported and I felt that actually people really were making a lot of efforts to be inclusive of all sorts of things but including mental health and I just thought well this has made such a big difference to my life it was at that stage where I felt that I could be open about it and it was okay to get treatment and it was okay to tell my manager and you know my colleagues what I was going through that I started to kind of see a big change in my life so in terms of my outputs at work in terms of you know, social interactions in terms of how I was feeling in myself. And I just wanted to contribute that back to people. So um, I started my career in, in early careers recruitment. So first in the legal sector, um, helping to recruit trainee solicitors and then at the bank recruiting uh, graduates, interns, apprentices um, on, on those kinds of programmes. And I started to volunteer kind of doing some bits on the side around mental health in the workplace. And enjoyed that massively um, and found a lot of confidence in kind of you know addressing some of the challenges around workplace mental health and well-being and was very fortunate that you know at the right time the opportunity came up to move into the the role as well-being lead and uh, certainly haven't looked back since. Amazing great and yeah and I think it's really important to encourage workplace cultures where we are open and honest about our mental health and everybody you know everybody will have struggles won't they you know these are my struggles and I own them and I'm not ashamed of them and I'm willing to talk about them and I want to embrace a culture where where we all do the same and that benefits you know everybody and even down to the to the bottom line where it's relevant. You mentioned your professional sports background and figure skating what challenges do you think that kind of posed on your mental health and if you're comfortable talking about it what skills and resilience do you think that helped you develop? Yeah so I think um I learned an enormous amount from my sporting career, which, you know, you might not expect it to, but I think it's definitely translated really well into what I can apply to, you know, my working life now. Things around, you know, resilience in terms of dealing with difficult situations, picking yourself back up when you have disappointments, because in competitive sports, it doesn't always go the way you'd like it to. You don't always get the results that you would love to get. Um, and I think you know, from quite a young age, I, I really was taught to value the importance of hard work with sport. Nothing just comes because you're at the right place at the right time. It really is just keeping at it. And I think that that was something that was important to acknowledge. But I also think that it informs a lot of what I do now because I firsthand, you know, grew up essentially in an environment that is competitive and that unfortunately isn't always as supportive as I think um, it could be and that's not figure skating alone at all I think that that generally just is the nature of competitive sporting and competitive anything 
Um, and I think that there are constructive ways to be competitive. I think that there are constructive ways to ensure that people get results um, that doesn't have to kind of play on, I suppose, kind of, uh, you know, encouraging toxic behaviours in people. And interestingly, I actually saw a lot of that um, in my own personal experiences of kind of transitioning out of university and into the workplace, because, again, you kind of ended up in a pool of people that were relatively similar ability but very kind of you know feeling competitive for grades and for jobs and for you know who's doing better and who's doing worse and there was a lot of comparison um you know of myself between my peers and a lot of you know what assessment centres have you been invited to and if like me unfortunately I had a bit of a difficult time finding a job after university and you know it was the sort of I haven't got anything so far and you know am I the odd one out and does that mean that there's you know something wrong with my performance so I think definitely learning to kind of navigate and also just full-on acknowledge the fact that sometimes competitive atmospheres can turn into something toxic and some of the things that you can do I think to preserve your own well-being and either to take yourself out of situations where you know that it's not beneficial for you or kind of your performance longer term um, or also just to try and call out some of those behaviours which is easier said than done but I think that sometimes it is a case of saying that's not helpful to you it's not helpful to me and you know it's, it's not a conversation or a behavior that I would like to engage with I think that that's something that's been important to, to learn but you know certainly very grateful for lots of what I got from from sport and I think lots of it has you know transferred quite well into into what I do now. Absolutely. And I think if we look at countries like Switzerland and I believe California's got like very extensive sports programs in schools where really it's about allowing people to embrace failure and acknowledging that failure is a natural part of life um, and using sport as a method to say to people, um, yes, you, d you do fail and it's how you, you know, it's how you deal with that and pick yourself up and move forward and learn from it. That, you know, that, that's such an important life skill. And I've always been a big proponent of saying, saying that's, that's what sport's about for, you know, for a lot of kids. The benefit of sports is about is about yes, you know, physical exercise and 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 all the benefits that spring, but also this ability to say, you know, to normalise failure and to say that life isn't a, life isn't all dreamy and, and you can't you can't win at every turn you take, but um, but really if we embrace failure, then it's um, it's positive for everybody. Yeah. You mentioned and I've seen online that you're a big supporter of young people's mental health. Yeah. How are you involved in that at the moment, and what are you doing to support them? Yeah, so I sit on uh, the steering committee for uh, a network called Thriving from the Start. So it's cross-organisational, it's open to anyone from kind of any workplace, also people who are still studying, so whether they're at school and thinking about an apprenticeship programme or at university and thinking about going on to do a graduate programme or, you know, going down kind of standard recruitment um, route. And really what we're trying to do is to create a sense of community for young people who are you know embarking on what is a really difficult period of transition people and particularly those who are going through those transitionary periods out of education and into the workplace are reluctant to talk about the difficult bits and so it's really easy to think that you are the only one in the boat of having you know 107 rejections because everyone else is just talking about the good stuff and nobody's talking about well what's it doing to your emotional well-being what's it doing to your social well-being what's it doing to your levels of anxiety so just trying to encourage some dialogue the more we can do even just to start talking about it, I think will make a big difference to, for example, help seeking behaviours and finding the support that, that they need. And there are avenues of support out there. I think it's just difficult sometimes when you're in that situation 
to, you know, if you think you're the only one going through that and that everyone else is having a great time and getting hundreds of job offers, it can be very difficult to take that first step to admit that actually a bit of support would be really, really helpful to you and your well-being. That's great. And yeah, I, I saw some data that came out um, looking at kind of the, the, the physical effects of, of the impact on young people's mental health during lockdown and the yeah the, the biggest effect has been on quality of sleep so the majority of um you know the majority of impact felt physically is, is really disturbed sleep i think it's difficult enough anyway when you're a, when you're in your late teens and early 20s to to try and run effective sleep hygiene um when there's many distractions and and you, you it's quite easy to stay on the computer all evening and all night there's some excellent sleep resources out there that i'd say to people look you know look at the basics of sleep hygiene look at you know doing the basics well and if you if you sleep well you feel better the next day and if you feel better the next day then hopefully you can start some positive cycles to um, try and help ease some of these symptoms that you know, that naturally many people are suffering with. So to kind of transition back to the initiatives that you run for the Bank of England, are you happy to talk about some of the campaigns that you run and any particular challenges specific to the Bank of England? Yeah, of course. So we do lots of stuff in, in the wellbeing space. So we've tried to kind of define wellbeing. It's a really difficult concept to define because I think it means different things to different people. There's lots of different definitions out there. But we've looked at it as four strands. So we look at physical well-being, psychological well-being, financial well-being and social well-being. And of course, they interact with each other massively. You can't just pick one strand and it's just there on its own. But it helps us to kind of think about the support that we provide. So we have in-house staff counsellors, which are fantastic. We introduced this year a bereavement guide to try and support people who are going through bereavements not just themselves, so not just if you've experienced a bereavement yourself, but what if you're a manager? What if you are a colleague? You know, you have someone in your team that's been through that. There's lots of added layers of complexity to something that already is such a difficult experience when you're having to go through it during a lockdown or during a pandemic with kind of added restrictions. And we're really fortunate that a lot of that kind of was supported by um, an introduction of some new online training tools, which ranged from things like how do you have a difficult conversation how do you broach a sensitive topic with someone which could touch on bereavement could touch on mental health could touch on kind of any number of issues relating to well-being um through to actually how do you look after your own physical health so advice on sleep advice on nutrition advice on financial well-being how do you deal with things like budgeting and financial planning but also there was a lot of kind of trying to maintain, I suppose, the, the human element. So, you know, you can release a guide, but, you know, if someone is going through something really challenging, sometimes what they want is to interact with someone, to speak to someone who's been through the same kind of, um, you know, experiences. So we set up a support group as well for people who had been through bereavement. So an opportunity to kind of share experiences, share things that have helped or just have a forum where you know that you can talk openly about your experience and you're amongst people who understand what you're going through. And we've also done a lot of work this year specifically looking at managers. So, you know, they have a really difficult job where they're people too. They are also dealing with a pandemic. They also have plenty going on in their personal lives, but they also have sort of the, the responsibility for the well-being of their teams, who also then are individually, you know, each of those colleagues is going through, you know, a whole range of really challenging stuff. So we really try to make sure that Firstly, they knew what was available to them. So we have things like we have a manager specific uh, support helpline so they can call that if they need some advice and guidance on how to deal with the situation. We provided specific training for them again around things like well-being. How do you deal with some of those things in the workplace? How do you best support your team? 
but also running events where what we're saying is it's okay that this period of time is difficult for you it's absolutely fine there's a massive impact on you personally and your role as a manager and the landscape has shifted in which you are doing this role so really just kind of you know trying to balance the permission to talk about these things and to admit that this stuff is really tough at the moment but also not just leaving it there and providing some avenues for support like online training like these events that's really impressive and you know it, it, it sounds to me it sounds very clear that you've got a very evolved you know support package for the well-being of your team and I think in terms of value to the listeners I think they'd like to see you know how many how many staff are in the Bank of England is it about 5,000 or so uh, around 4,000. Four, okay. So so say if I was a smaller team, say if, you know, say if I um, had 500 staff and my ears pricked up when you said there's a bereavement support group, can you talk me through the practicalities of how do you set up a bereavement support group or how did you go about it? What worked? What didn't? What is it? Is it something that's kind of facilitated? How often do people meet? Um, how do you get kind of some traction so you get people in there? Like, yeah, I'd love to hear a bit more about that. Yeah, so I think that things like support groups are definitely the sort of thing that can be applicable regardless of, you know, your organisation size. First, I think that there is an important role to play in socialising the idea. And then really it's about kind of, we first launched the guide and then the support group. So again, it was, we're not just talking about, you know, open up about your experiences about bereavement, just start talking about it. It's also a bit of, this is what support is available to you if you are the person who's going through bereavement or if you're supporting someone who's going through bereavement. Um, these are some of the things that people might experience when they're going through bereavement. So, you know, the symptoms, so to speak. And obviously people will grieve in different ways and it's not a linear process. But just trying to build some of that understanding that it can be a whole range of things that happen when somebody goes through a bereavement, but also that they might be fine for a couple of weeks and then they might regress or something might trigger them. And then, you know, they might have loads of those feelings of grief or whatever emotions come with that grief further down the line. So I think it's a case of kind of, you know, trying to build a picture and build some understanding before you ask people to share uh, kind of their experiences. And then at the moment, primarily, we bring together uh, online. So, um, you know, lots of organisations will use platforms like Yammer, for example. I know that, you know, in Teams, you can build groups, things like that. So bringing people together in a place where they can easily access kind of shared resources, but also where they can write comments to each other, they can write posts. Um, And importantly, what we have is involvement from mental health first aiders. So we don't moderate the interactions in kind of any uh, specific way. But we do have people who are just there to make sure that if somebody is writing things where actually that person might be struggling, not reaching out for the help that they need, or there's a sign there that actually that person needs someone to reach out to them. The mental health first aiders obviously have this fantastic qualification, which has given them some of the skills to proactively reach out and support someone and get them onto kind of longer term support that will be helpful for them. So that's been really positive as well. What we're going to try and move towards and something that, you know, is a model that is used by the Mental Health Network at the bank, which is a fantastic colleague led uh, network who run coffee hours. So it's with varying frequency, but about every six weeks, they'll pick a topic and it might range from something like grief or through to kind of, you know, diagnosed mental health conditions, PTSD, anxiety, eating disorders, etc. And we really lean on our staff counsellors to make sure that those conversations are safe. But we bring people together for an opportunity to have a tea and a coffee and a biscuit and talk about what they're going through. 
And I've observed that that's been a really useful forum for people who maybe are indirectly affected. So, for example, you know, we'll have people come along and say, my partner has anxiety. And what I would like is to find out from this forum of people who have very real lived experience of what can I do to help them? What are some of the things that I can do to, you know, support them? How do I support myself? Is it okay for me to step away from situations? So just asking questions that I think hopefully help people to understand you know, various experiences from the very people who have those experiences themselves. Oh, so, yeah, it's the power of power of technology, isn't it? Brought to you know, they're brought to support people. Okay, I, I, yeah, I, I experience it firsthand. Like I'm, I'm members of uh, I'm a member of private Facebook groups where you know, if you've got a niche question, like I had a niche question about a, a specific case of um, menopause management, and uh, and I said to this group, you know, this is what this is the situation I'm in. Has anybody encountered before? And you get three or four experts in the field come back to you. You know, within within like six hours later um so yeah i think that's the power of like the power of connectivity and the power of like uh, people living shared experiences online is is that's you know examples like that are really helpful aren't they so how about yourself then like um, obviously everybody's had their own struggles during the pandemic and you mentioned your background in professional sport like what if you're stressed or you're or you're feeling unburdened have you got any go-to resources or techniques that you use that you'd like to share with the audience yeah, so I think in terms of, I guess, kind of well-being practices, I think is maybe a simple one. And sometimes I think it's a difficult one to actually employ, but it's just saying no to things. And I think, you know, feeling comfortable in that sometimes you do have to say no because it's about self-preservation for yourself. So I absolutely love the analogy that, you know, in any case of well-being support, what you have to be doing is looking after yourself first. It's, you know, the if you're on an aeroplane and the oxygen masks drop down, you put your mask on first before you go to help others. And I think saying no sometimes is the way that you can do that. And in terms of kind of resources, I'm a really big fan of the Samaritans. I've obviously uh, mentioned them already. Um, I think they obviously do fantastic work in terms of being there for people when they really are kind of in those situations where it might be three in the morning. Maybe it feels like, you know, you don't feel comfortable to call somebody else. You don't know who to speak to. They are literally, you know, there for that purpose. I guess I am probably, you know, in a fortunate position where through my work, I get to interact with lots of people who understand the world of well-being and understand the world of mental health. And so when you have those networks, it really does feel like at your fingertips on the phone or via instant message, as I mentioned, I, I prefer, or, you know, on LinkedIn, you have a world of people who understand the importance of acknowledging, you know, what you're going through and the importance of well-being. So I think that I'm lucky in that sense that there's lots of people I feel like I can speak to in a network and a community around me where if I'm having a difficult time, I know that there's support available from individuals. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously when times are getting tough and the people do need more formal support, you've obviously mentioned that you've got the counselling staff. Are they staff employed by the Bank of England themselves? Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah. Obviously we've researched for this. We've looked into like background of, of what the banking do and they're definitely, a, yeah, they're definitely a pioneer, it seems, in terms of a really evolved network to support their staff. And obviously then you had the foundations in place to really, you know, juggle the pandemic and, um, yeah, and kudos to you because I think yeah, you should be held as a, as a pinnacle of, of how to do things well. Thank you. So I think transition into the future of your role in the well-being space. Have you got any predictions on what you think we'll be seeing more of in the well-being space or, or your opinion on what you'd like to see more of? I think that, you know, the, the pandemic obviously has been incredibly difficult and I think that it has been a, a challenging and, you know, to use the very cliche word, it's been absolutely unprecedented. 
But amongst, I think, all of the difficult and negative aspects of it, a silver lining has been, I think, mental health and well-being has been much more on the radar for lots of people that perhaps previously didn't have it on their radar. And I think that we've seen lots of really positive things over the last year, lots of new initiative, lots of new support, lots of understanding. I think there's been more, for example, of a focus on kindness and leadership, emotional intelligence, which I think are all fantastic things. Looking at equality in lots of different senses of the word, but interestingly, I think health inequalities are some of the places where inequalities, you know, for example, in the UK are very stark and very visible. And I think that there is something about doing more to make sure that well-being, both in the context of what we do in the workplace and beyond, I'm hoping to see that there'll be kind of more work in that space and that there'll be more opportunity to kind of build on, on some of the work that has been done in that space already as well. Oh, too right, yeah. No, yeah, I think, I think, unfortunately, health inequalities have been really highlighted, haven't they, amidst the pandemic? But I mean, even, even if you look at the vaccination campaigns, look at, you know, look at the distribution differences in areas. And, you know, obviously there's complex political reasons about why that's the case. But, but yeah, it just highlights some of the inequalities that, that are seen across the UK. In terms of your Wing Minds website and the content there, where would you like to see that evolve to? Sure. So I set up Winning Minds because I think there was uh, a gap in um, actually addressing mental ill health in sport. So as I've kind of touched on previously, there's a lot of conversations around resilience and mental toughness, but less so kind of what happens if you don't have that, what happens if you do experience mental illness. And sports people are people, they are, you know, part of the one in four statistic that we know is true in the UK. And actually there's some evidence to suggest that maybe uh, there's more prevalence of mental illness amongst sports people. Um, I think in setting up Winning Minds, it's, it's, it's not very old. It was only set up uh, in uh, September last year. So it's very much kind of uh, still finding its feet. But I think the setup was the initial kind of stage of, you know, trying to socialise the concept of mental health in sport and try and get some conversation going, try and get some kind of ripples out. Um, I think in terms of next stages, it would be really great to get more interactive um, conversation going. Um, so I think at the moment it's much very much been sort of there's content there, please engage with it kind of, you know, in a passive way. But I think that it'd be really interesting to see how we can get some of those conversations going with a view eventually to kind of hopefully kind of sporting bodies. And I think, you know, sports clubs, for example, really trying to take on board some of the principles of how do you create mentally healthy sporting cultures you know if if you're responsible for a sports club whether it's a big uh, champions league football club or whether it's uh, you know a grassroots team that works on the basis of kind of their community um how do you employ some of the tactics that i, I think can be really simple things that actually ensure that you are creating a space where mental health is thought about and that it's a space where if someone is going through something with their mental health you know how to support them you know how to address it and you know how to identify it as well oh excellent yeah well you're right up our street we, we have a community focused um fa affiliated team now um which is you know we like dad like dad bods football it's um <laughs> it's not high quality football it's an inclusive football um and yeah and really that you know it, it was when we were allowed to play um for many months over the pandemic we were very fortunate to play it was it was a godsend and um if you'd uh yeah if you'd ever like to discuss like some more content about that, about how we, yeah, we, we worked with the Lanx FA um, in terms yeah. of um, uh, kind of them supporting us to stay playing where possible throughout the pandemic and, and the benefits to, it, essentially it's a group of new dads, about 20 new dads. So um, if you ever want to talk that, like, absolutely. 
Yeah, that sounds lovely. Um, but yeah, just don't expect any high. It's not it's just <laughs> low skill, low skill. <laughs> so uh, is there any guests that come to mind who you'd love to see on the podcast in the future? Yeah, so I have thought about this question a lot because there's so many wonderful, inspirational people in the wellbeing and mental health space. So, you know, if I had time, I'd, I'd send you a list of about 100. But I think that there are two that really come to mind for me. Um, so the first is Poppy Jaman. She's CEO of the City Mental Health Alliance and just, you know, a wonderful, inspirational person who has done a phenomenal amount for workplace mental health, but also for, you know, societal mental health more broadly. And she is just so knowledgeable and, you know, I'm gonna keep using this word, but inspiring. She's a really inspiring person. Um, so I would definitely recommend Poppy. Um, and the second is um, I connected not long ago with uh, someone called James Crystal, uh, and he has a very interesting and a roller coaster of, of a background story. And he's been through some really, really difficult things in his life, but he has really taken those challenges and turned them into a positive. So he talks a lot about how do you turn darkness into light and how do you take those negative experiences and make them something positive. Um, and James actually recently launched uh, a sustainable clothing brand which focuses on positive mental health messages. So there's lots of messages of empowerment on the clothes themselves. Um, and uh, he uses it to um, the clothing funds events, which raises charity for, uh, raises money for mental health charities. So, you know, if you like the environment and you like mental health, it's just such a wonderful combination that he is um, an unforgettable individual. I think when you speak to him and you hear his story, you just, you know, end up thinking about it for days afterwards. So two um, slightly different, but equally inspirational people there. Oh, amazing. And do you know the name of the brand so I can link people to it? Yeah, it's called Everse. Great. I will link to that in the show notes. So, yeah, in closing, where where would you like people to, to reach out to you, to connect? And, yeah, how can they find out more about you and your work? Yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm a really big fan of LinkedIn. I think it's a really nice way to find new people to connect with the shared interest, but also I love seeing the content that people post because I think it's a really good forum for people to share their ideas or new things that they've been working on. So definitely if anyone is interested in connecting on LinkedIn, uh, very open to that and obviously drop me a message. Um, equally, you know, people can find out more about Winning Minds and can contact me through the website there. So um, it's literally winningminds.org. So, um, you know, I, I would encourage people to have a look and, and to reach out. Oh, amazing. And yeah, I will link to your LinkedIn and your website and everything we spoke about in the show notes, which people can find at loonbase.com. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you so much, Anastasia. Thank you for having me. This podcast is brought to you by Loonbase. Loonbase is an all-in-one wellbeing platform for your workplace. Listeners of this podcast can get an exclusive deal. Just simply go to loonbase.com forward slash champions. That's loonbase.com forward slash champions to find out more.